0: All right, let's pray. Lord, uh, I thank you for gathering us together today. Lord, I thank you for uh, the work that you are doing in this church, for the opportunity that we have uh, to hear this story, to hear how we are wrapped up in it, Lord, and to uh, be able to learn it in such a way that we can communicate it to others. Uh, Father, it's a blessing and it's a privilege that you would uh, restore us uh, so that we can be of use to you and of your kingdom. Lord, be with us now as we engage with your word, uh, but may it form us. Uh, as uh, kingdom builders, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all come on in, have a seat. We've got coffee. That's still out back. You still got to get cold if you want coffee, but otherwise, um, again, we've got handouts over there uh, if you want to follow along. Uh, we're going to take a slightly different approach today. I realize we're, we're session five out of six. Things might be getting a little routine, and so I'm going I'm to shake it up on you a little bit. I'm going to be asking lots of questions today. All right, so uh, just get ready, raise your hands, and uh, we're going to get started. Um, I'm going to recap the same story that we've been hearing, um, but again, part of what we're trying to do is to be able to present this in such a way that it makes sense, that it's cohesive, uh, that it comes together, and so uh, I'm going to tell this story, but I'm going to do it from a slightly different angle. We're going to talk about it through the story of a kingdom. So here's my first question. It's a softball. all right what is a kingdom what is a kingdom the land of of a king very good we got one brave soul and the people who live under on that land right think of think of domain right it's the king's domain right it's everything that is under the rule of a king everything that belongs to him and that means he gets to decide what to do with it right it's under his control and so the implication here is that who the king is right personally who he is and what he does with his stuff is of vital importance right so let's think about a good king versus a bad king what makes a king bad let's we'll start with that What makes a king bad? If you could sum it up. What are the characteristics of a bad ruler, of a bad king? Selfish. Greedy. Tyrant. That's good. I heard it. something else. Cruel. That's exactly right. So all of these things can sort of be summed up in, in one idea, right? The bad king is going to use all of this stuff that he has power and control over for his own purposes. For his own good, maybe, or just for his own whims and desires. Okay, so then, what's a good king? Selfless. Selfless. Generous. Generous. What is he doing with all that stuff that he's in charge of, and all that land, and all those people? What's he doing with them? He's caring, sharing, yes. Empowering. Empowering. Managing. Managing. Is he using all that stuff for his own good? No, he's using it for its good, right? He's thinking about the people that he's in charge of, the things that he's in charge of, what he's been given to steward, and he's thinking about what is good for it. Right? So who the king is is a big deal when it comes to the kingdom uh, that you may be a part of, right? So a good king uses the things in his control for its good. Okay. What... What a good king do if a pretender to the throne tried to come in and take some of his stuff? I heard kill him. Yeah. What would a good king do, right? If this pretender tried to come in and claim some of the good king's stuff for his own? What would he do? Charles is cheating. He's looking at the sheet that has the answers written down. I was hoping I wouldn't notice that. I was hoping I was making eye contact; we were engaged. But what would a good king do? Try to steer him in another direction. Try to steer him in another direction. Thank you. No, I I appreciate that very much. Yeah, maybe. Resist. Right. What would he do? It's his. It rightly belongs to him. What are you saying, Charles? Resist the pretender, okay? He would mobilize his resources and his people. Uh-huh. Towards what end? To fortification. Okay. And protection. And protection, yeah. Would he let this guy come and just take his stuff? No. No. Right, right. He, he, they are under his control, right? And And, and he wants to do what is for their good, right? And so he's going to mount an attack of some kind. He's going he's to make some kind of attempt, right? He's going to try and rescue what has been taken over, right? To get it back, to win it back for its good. Okay? So he's going to try to take back what is good. All right, we're going to pause just here for a second. Do you all see kind of what we're doing? If you've been with us for the past few weeks, do you see how we're telling the story of Scripture... Right, but we're using this idea of a kingdom, this this theme of a kingdom, uh, to explain what's going on in Scripture. Right, so we talked about creation. We said in Genesis one and two, God, the King, established His kingdom. Psalm ninety-five reads: "For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth; the heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it." And his hands formed the dry land. So God, we know, is the king who creates this great kingdom. And then we said we moved from creation and we went to fall, right? inter pretender king, right? With his false claims to the throne. He's got no power of his own, right? All that he can do is convince the subjects of the good king to give him control for his own good. And he does it by promising that if they do that, it, it will be for their good. Right? Does that make sense? He's got no power of his own. All he can do is persuade Adam and Eve to give him control. And he says, if you give me control, this is actually better for you. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, oh, it's good for me to eat from this. She took of it ...of its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, saying nothing, I added that in, uh, and he ate. (laughs) Women, it's not your fault, it's all of our fault. Men, we should have stepped up and said something, right? (laughs) And so then we said, our next thing that we looked at was promise, this idea of promise, right? The good king was not going to let this stand, right? He made a promise that he was going to rescue his people and he he kept that promise going and he made that promise in different ways and as Drew pointed out uh, in that promise there's usually two parties involved I'll do this and you do that and God said no let me take care of all of it I'm going to take care of both sides of that promise for you because I know what is needed and and you actually uh, can't bring a knife to a gunfight right you actually can't get yourself out of this situation. I'm going to do it for you. And that was a promise that he made. And that promise led all the way to last week. And we see that promise fulfilled in Jesus himself. Right, That promise that leads to redemption, which is what we talked about last week. The good king promises to rescue his kingdom by running off the pretender king and by taking back what is his. Creation, fall, promise, redemption, And then in Jesus, we see the fulfillment of the promise. All right, we're going to talk about restoration today. So that's the next piece of uh, this story, right? But before we do that, we've got to touch on something um, in this idea of redemption, of Jesus coming and redeeming this great king, uh, coming and running off the pretender king. And let me ask this question. Let's get back to that story of the good king, right? Is it enough? Is it enough for the good king simply to rescue his people? Let me ask a follow-up question. What does a good king do with the people who are under the influence of the pretender king? Once the pretender king has been ousted. Teach them, sure. Reconcile. Reconcile good what options does he have let's ask that question what options does that good king have right we've got those subjects who, who were part of the pretender kingdom's uh, claim to, to authority and, and the pretender king is gone what does a good king do what options does he have he could kick him out, he could kick him out right he could say you turned on me that's it you're done he could forgive them Right, He could say, it's all right, you can stay. He could kick them out, but he loves them, right? They were part of his kingdom at first. He's got to deal with the consequences, right? He could let them stay, but they rebelled against him. Neither one of these are, are, are full answers in and of themselves. And so enter Jesus, right? The good king who has another way of going about it. The good king who has another way of doing it, right? He, Jesus says, uh, he says, I have a way to show the people that rebelled uh, just how much I truly love you, more so than just letting you off the hook. And I have a way to make right all the wrong that you helped cause, more so than just kicking you out. Jesus says, there's something else that, that I can do. I can do more than just to rescue you uh, and to kick out the pretender king. But Jesus comes in this way to redeem his subjects who turned against him so that they can be restored to his kingdom. All right, so how does he do that? He to them to believe in him and to follow That he power and That's right. It's even more than just persuade, right? There's there a wrong that has happened that, that's, that must be, that's that consequence that we're talking about, right? There, there is an offense that has taken place that has, to be, that has to be dealt with. Yeah, so Jesus presents this third way. He says, the consequence of your betrayal still Uh, exists but instead of making you pay it I'm going to pay it so I'm going to take that consequence for myself I'm going to deal with the consequence of this betrayal I'm going to I'm going to do it myself right that promise God on both ends of that promise fulfilling both sides of it he takes for himself the consequence of their betrayal right it's the act of love that can right all wrongs right that's what we see the cross being right that's what the cross is jesus on the cross it's it's god's greatest the king's greatest act of love and his greatest act of justice and it's his offer for all of those who fell under who gave control to the pretender king it's jesus's offer for us to rejoin his kingdom in full right rescued yes redeemed yes and restored and that's what we're going to be talking about today right now of use and of value to the good king again not sitting in some jail or or some other consequence fully restored the consequence fully paid for now restored all right let's place ourselves in this story of this of this kingdom what's our role if we were to step back, we've seen this sort of, this scene play out in front of us, right? You've got the good king who makes his good creation, right? Then the pretender king comes and he persuades some people to turn against the good king, right? And then the good king comes and rescues and, and redeems. What's our role in this, in this story? Where, where do we fit in in this story? Yeah, right? So all of us, we all have, have, have come under the persuasion of that pretender king, right? Right, and and we know that uh, we know that not just because other people tell us that, right? We know that because we can feel it ourselves, because uh, we somehow know how we should measure up, and we know what's left inside, and we know that there's a uh, two different things. So that's one one sort of part of the of the answer, right? We have to admit, and I would say that this is might be the hardest part for anybody who's hearing about this Christian gospel for the very first time, right? Or considering this uh, this idea. Uh, that God would do something like this right I would say the hardest hurdle for people to get over is this very step right admitting that we are part of the problem that's hard to do right that's hard to say that I knowingly or unknowingly contributed right to 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 the disorder of God's orderly creation of God's orderly kingdom Right, so if you can get to the point of believing that a God exists, then one of the hardest steps into understanding Jesus in particular is understanding um, that you owe him something, right? That there is an offense that has taken place. So that's part of the answer, but now Jesus comes in and does something about the problem, and so where does that leave us? How else do we play into this, this story? What other role do we have? yeah right so we're part of the problem right but then jesus comes and he he changes that so what where does that leave us justified Justified, yeah and and even more part of the solution solution. that is written on the sheet that is written on the sheet Right? So not just part of the problem anymore. Now we get to actually partake in God's redemption story ourselves. We get to be part of the solution. We, as restored beings, get to be part of the retaking and reclaiming of God's perfect and beautiful and wonderful land. Right? Okay. Jesus, the good king on the cross, found a way to rescue us and redeem us. He takes for himself the consequence of our betrayal and if Jesus can take back what is his and if he can make right what has been made wrong and we are no longer subject to the pretender king well that means that we actually get to be full members of this good kingdom yet again so our role has been completely changed right and notice why that is is it anything that we did isn't that the most beautiful part of it God did it for us. This transformation has left us completely and utterly changed, right? God has washed over us and left us in a different place and with value now for the kingdom. And that is one of the most beautiful things, simply because of Jesus, right? Even if we don't fully understand how, even if we don't get the nuts and bolts of every little thing, simply because of Jesus, we now have shifted from becoming part of the problem to part of the solution. So this is a key takeaway, what I'm about to get to, that, that I want us um, to, to, to take away from today in particular. When we think about God's work of restoration in our lives and when we think about how we partner in that work of restoration, uh, this is what I want us to remember, right? To be restored is to admit and to never forget that we once were part of the problem and now are part of the solution, we have to keep both of those things in mind. Because if we don't, then, then what we do is we risk, we, we risk losing either the power or the potency of the gospel. Here's what I mean by that. Here's what I mean. Right? We risk losing either the power or the potency of the gospel. Right? The power. If we, if we forget that we have been restored... And that sin has no grip on us anymore. If we fall back under control of the pretender king, then the gospel has lost its power in our lives, right? We've, we've listened to that lie yet again. Now, it doesn't mean it's completely ineffective because that's the promise of Jesus, right? He says, once I have claimed you as my own, you are mine. Right? But the power of the gospel can be lost if we allow ourselves to believe that we actually are still under the control of the pretender king. If we actually believe that our sin is inevitable. Because what Jesus promises is that we are working out our salvation step by step and day by day. That means that just because we sin in one way today, it doesn't mean that we will necessarily sin in that exact same way tomorrow. We are not bound to that fate of sinning once and sinning again. Now, this work isn't fully completed this side of heaven, right? We know that, but there is a path of salvation that we can walk, a, a, a path of sanctification, right? Where you can look back after a day or a week or a month or a year or five years or 10 years and say, thank God I am not who I was then, right? That's real and that's true. That's the power that the gospel has over us. But if we forget where we came from, if we forget that we need God's rescuing and redemption in the first place where if we forget uh, that he has fully completed that act of redemption then we fall back into the promises of the evil one the pretender king and the gospel can lose its power. Now it's potency the gospel can lose its potency as well if we forget our need to be restored right either the power the potency of the gospel if we forget our need to be restored then the gospel is ineffective and it means that we have nothing to share anymore right the gospel has lost its potency we have nothing left for the world to hear because we have nothing left that we have received anymore if we forget our need to be restored So let's take a look. We've got a a couple minutes left and then uh, we can uh, knock back around some of these uh, concepts and we're going to take a look at the three uh, elements of of the restored kingdom or the kingdom in the process of being restored. So we're going to look at the Holy Spirit, we're going to look at the church, and we're going to look at the mission of the church. In all of this, again, the key to understanding how these things fit together is recognizing that we once were part of the problem, now are part of the solution, and taking that full identity with us. Uh, One thing I want to say about that is to recognize, imagine, I'm trying to, I forgot to think through a really good example of this, so Ushi, I'm going to put you on the spot. Is there that you can come up with, on the fly, this is hard and I would never do this unless it was a friend who could beat me up later. Um, Ushi, is there a piece of art that you can think of that has been restored in some significant way, lost once then restored and brought back? Is there a, uh, a good example of that that, like not the Mona Lisa, I don't, I'm not, I don't know art all that well. well I mean, yes, that happens time. I know, I was trying to, can you think of like a good over the top I'm sorry, I put her on the exactly spot. They just threw tomato soup on artwork. Oh, that's right. I heard about that. Uh, it was Sistine the Chapel. Sistine Chapel, yeah. Thank you. I also. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I want you to think about the Sistine Chapel. I should have gotten that one. Um, what is so beautiful about a piece of art that has been restored? It's more vibrant. <laughs> Yeah. It's not just that it's beautiful in and of itself, right? What's beautiful about it is the story that it tells, right? It's it's more than just the fact that it's a great work of art. Now it is a great work of art that has been lost and returned and, and restored to its prominence, restored to its greatness, right? And so, and so when you think about a, a restored piece of art, what's amazing about it is uh, that... The story itself of the process of being restored is part of what makes it so grand and so compelling and so wonderful and so beautiful and memorable, clearly, right? Right? It's this idea of this beauty and magnificence being told through the story of what happens here. So, we, I introduce that concept because, friends, we, we, the restored people of God, are his prized possessions. Right? And that means that our lives, our, our lives that have been restored by God, actually tell the story of the gospel in a way um, that is beautiful and magnificent and that brings glory to God himself. You ever think about it like that, that we actually are this prized possession of God, that it is his work in our lives, the story that we can tell of God's restoration personally in us, that brings glory to his name right it's not it's not an a a a weakness to be able to say that we needed God and that he showed up in a way that we couldn't show up in a way that we couldn't save ourselves that he came and then restored and made us new again and so he is telling his story through our very lives and so that means that we have something to offer the world so Holy Spirit is present among us. This is the the role of the Holy Spirit, the advocate, right? He's making clear to us the person and the work of the living rescuer and redeemer, Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's pointing us to Jesus. He has come that we might know who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, right? To lead us to Jesus, our rescuer and our redeemer. All right, and so out of that comes uh, the, the definition for the church and of the church's mission. All right, so the church is the people gathered by the Holy Spirit to testify, admit to, witness, speak about what has been made clear to them about the person and work of Jesus. That's what the church is. It's you and me gathered by the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what our mission is too, to admit, witness, speak about what has been made clear to us about the person and work of Jesus, right? We have been rescued and redeemed and restored. Now through the church, we get to join in God's work of restoration of the rest of his kingdom, right? Reclaiming that land for good and for good purposes, for its good, right? It's not for our gain. It's not so that we can be a part of some, you know, cosmic power play, It's for the good of those who have come under the influence of this pretender king that we go about this work. And so the story of how we came to be restored, once part of the problem, now part of the solution, is what God uses to display his beauty and magnificence. And it's amazing to think that we now have value to God right? We're we're not just sort of of being controlled by by a puppet master, but we in our stories of restoration and redemption actually have value to offer to his kingdom work. So next week we are going to conclude, we're going to talk about what happens on the other side of death, which is the final restoration, right? When all of these things come together, uh, when Jesus comes back, right, when God's, uh, God's consummation and his new creation. So we're going to talk about what happens on the other side um, of death and when Jesus comes back for his second coming. But for now, what we are engaged in in this world is this act of living out our own restoration, right, of living out uh, as kingdom builders. Um, what it means to hear Jesus through the Holy Spirit, to partner with others, and then uh, to testify, admit, speak to, witness. That is the mission that is at the core of everything we do. We've got a few minutes, just a couple. I kept rambling there at the end. I should have landed the plane. Um, a few minutes for questions, comments. I would love to hear any thoughts on what it means to be restored people. Where does humility come in on? All- Yeah. And we redeem them that mm-hmm. our mechanisms for handling our problems are still a crackpot. Right. And, and, and we use those mechanisms. Yeah. The key here is understanding that our the righteousness that we have received is not of our own, right? So we have no grounds to be self-righteous. Right? that's exactly right and that's exactly what drew is is preaching on uh the key is to recognize again in that uh in that um identity as people who needed restoration who have um now been restored right it didn't come through our own self and because we stand on this side because we have been redeemed because we've been given righteousness it it's not a righteousness that we earned for ourselves it's not a righteousness that we can claim for our own we, it's a righteousness that has been given to us and so um that's a, a key to understanding right jesus humbled himself by even taking on flesh right by even coming down into this world and interacting with sin and instead of himself being dirtied by sin he actually makes the dirt clean which is this beautiful uh, selfless act of love that we're called to be a part of as well so that speaks a little to that idea yes with the restoration theme in the art world mm-hmm. um, the artwork is very fragile and frail and it takes skilled hands mm-hmm. to go through the process to reveal the true colors of the original piece and not just anybody can do that yeah and it takes a long time um, it's not and so if you want to yeah Extend the metaphor. Oh, seven, There's a tapestry that was recently restored on display in the museum, and it took a long, long time. Um, oh, Florence Museum, right here. All right. It, it was. It's, it's an interesting piece of work. I want to give you All right. So we've got two pieces of homework. The first is on your sheet, right? So the first piece is, is on your sheet. It's to ask a question. How can I bring glory to God today? that's a shorthand way of of going about the work of the kingdom that we talked about right and so the idea is uh, find another person maybe it's in your household in your family maybe it's a close friend pick a day and say this is a a prayer that we're going to pray in the beginning of the day and then we're going to sort of meditate on it think about it throughout the rest of the day but here's the promise that you have to make to yourself if god actually answers that question you've got to be willing to follow through right you've got to be willing to say all right I'll, i'll actually do it lord if if you're willing to show up i will follow through all right and then at the end of the day come back together and see see what happened see if the lord showed you a way that you could uh intentionally bring about glory in his name Uh, the second homework is to go to the florence museum (laughs) go look at this piece of tapestry and to contemplate all that we have talked about today nice little plug because i put you on the spot thank you let's pray Lord, we thank you from a a deep place in our heart, Lord, that you are writing out your story of wonder and magnificence and glory, Lord, that you are revealing your character to the world through us, that we somehow, Lord, have value to offer you. Lord, that you would choose to bring us into, to restore us, rescue us, redeem us as members once again in full of your kingdom, Lord, and that you would then allow us to be sent out to tell your story of salvation in our lives, that we might help bring it about in the lives of those who we encounter. Lord, it is a humbling act of service that we get to do, but it's also, um, Lord, it is the gospel come alive. It's exactly what we are meant to do, what you've created us to do, to bring glory and honor to your name. That was our intended purpose from the beginning, that we would have a unique relationship with you, Lord, and that through your uh, calling in our lives that we would be in unique relationship with one another. And so, Lord, thank you that you tell your story through our lives of redemption and restoration. Lord, show us how we can live into that more fully, we pray. How this church can be a place that tells that story to those who need to hear it, who need to know of your salvation and of your grace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.